Tonight we're going to uh, again take a little break from our series that we've been doing over the past, I don't know, eight months on worship. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. We're actually going to be looking at the entire chapter tonight. And um, as we do this, uh, if you can remember, last week Pastor Matt brought a message from 1 Samuel 22, 1 Samuel 20, and so we're going to be going a little bit uh, back in time now as we look at this passage in 1 Samuel 8. And this is an important chapter to the history of Israel as we approach this chapter tonight, um, but it's also an important chapter for us as well. If you can remember last week, Pastor Matt showed us and told us as he taught from 1 Samuel 20 that this isn't just Israel's history that we're looking at, but this is our family history. As we are now in Christ, we've been adopted by God the Father. We are now His sons and daughters. This isn't just an ancient story in the Old Testament that has nothing to do with us. No, this is our family history that this chapter really sets up a lot of the rest of Christian history. And a lot of um, Old Testament prophecy has to do with the events that, that come after what culminates in this chapter. Do you need me to do something with the... Okay. Um, so, tonight we're going to look at this in-between phase in the history of Israel where the, the time of period, the period of the judges comes to an end, and we're in this uh, in-between chapter before the period of the kings. And so quickly to recap, since there may be some in here that just aren't completely familiar with the Old Testament... Uh, so Moses, God raised up Moses to deliver the people, the Israelites, out of slavery. And his plans were to lead them into the promised land, the land that he promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, that as the people of God, they would go into this land, submitted to the word of God, submitted to his law, and that they would be God's people, and that they would show forth um, God's rule and reign to all the nations and that they would be a nation set apart unlike all the other nations. Well, if you can remember, the Israelites initially rejected going into the promised land out of fear. They sent 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, there's no way we can conquer this land. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. And so God caused the Israelites to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all of those who were full of doubt had died off. And so then God raised up Joshua to take the promised land. And Joshua, during his life, he really led the people as God intended. He was a man of the word. He was a man of the law. If you can remember, one of his um, more famous quotes that he said was, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua led the nation of Israel righteously. But then as Joshua died, quickly the nation began to spiral downward 
as we go into um, this led us to the book of Judges. And there's, there's an overarching theme in the book of Judges, and I want to see if, if anybody who has taken KBI can tell us what that theme was, was that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's right. And so quickly they went away from the law of God. They went away from the commands of God and they said, we'll do what we think is right, not what you think is right, God. And quickly the nation spiraled into depravity. And so what happened is as they abandoned the the law of God, God sent enemies to oppress the Israelites. As they were oppressed, they would cry out to God. God would raise up judges or deliverers as they could be called as well. They would deliver the people from slavery, from oppression, from bondage. And then there would be a period of peace. And then it would start the cycle all over again. And so God would raise up judges, there would be peace, and then they would abandon the law of God leading to oppression. And this cycle would continue and continue. And so this is where we pick up tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now where Samuel is the judge of Israel. God raised up Samuel as judge and really prophet as he was speaking the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And tonight what we're going to see is what happens when you reject God as king. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 8. In verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters and be to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. 
He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. God, I thank you for your word that you have given us. God, we don't deserve to have access to your holy word. Lord, I thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, I thank you for all the men that have sacrificed and laid down their lives so that we can have your holy scriptures to read and learn from. Lord, be with us tonight as we learn from this passage. I pray that you would open the hearts of everyone that's in here tonight to receive something from you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And so uh, tonight I don't have a tidy three-point sermon on this passage, uh, but what I, what I would like to do is just to walk through it and, and show us some truths that we can gather from this passage. But I will say the, the main point of the passage, if, if you are just to remember one thing from this chapter, is this, is that if you reject God as king, you invite bondage into your life. If you reject God as king of your life, you are inviting, you are asking for bondage to come into your life. And this is what is being set up here in this chapter. And if you follow the history of Israel, this is what happens to them. As they are taken into bondage, they are taken into captivity. So we know that every word of the Lord proves true here. So what, what led to this rejection? Well, let's first go to the beginning of this passage. And I want to look at Samuel's choice of leadership that he makes here. And what's interesting is that Samuel, who was a man of God, he was frequently seeking the Lord and seeking the counsel of the Lord and praying to God and being led by the Lord in this huge situation here of, of naming the next judge, we, we don't see that he sought the Lord's counsel. Verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, it's interesting to note that nowhere in the book of Judges does a man appoint the next judge. It was always God who was raising up the judges. If you can remember how... Gideon was called by God, and how Samson was called by God. And then the the other judges that doesn't specifically say that God was the one raising them up, 
It just starts the chapter by saying that that was the judge. And so we don't see any example that this is how the following judges should be set in place by a man choosing the next judge. Nor do we see the office of judge being passed on from a father to a son. We, we don't see any example of that in the book of Judges. In fact, in, in Judges chapter 8, after Gideon had, had fought his battles, the people of Israel, they come up to Gideon and they say, we would like you to rule over us and then your son after you and, and your family after you. So they were, they were ready to, to really set up the, the kingship there. But Gideon responded by saying, me or my family are not going to rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. And so we, we don't see any example other than here of how a judge should be appointed in the way that Samuel does this. And so I, I do believe that this is an uncharacteristic shortcoming for Samuel. But, but quickly after, we see that he does seek the Lord's counsel in the rest of this chapter. Now, Samuel chooses his own children. And these sons of his, they didn't follow their father's example. Samuel was a man of God. Samuel was someone who cherished the word of God, who respected and feared the Lord, but yet his sons didn't walk in his ways. In fact, it says that they perverted justice. Now, this is the definition of a bad judge. Someone who doesn't uphold justice is a bad judge. And really, this leads to the nation asking for a replacement. They, they weren't happy with the bribes that Samuel's sons were taking. They were easily manipulated. They were perverting justice. And what we see here, immediately we begin to think of a righteous judge as we read about these unrighteous judges. And there's only one true righteous judge, and that is God, the Father. And He will not pervert justice. Now, this is good news for us who are in Christ, that God will uphold justice because since we are in Christ, our judgment was already applied to Christ on the cross. But every sin that has ever been committed nor, or that will ever be committed will be punished because God will not pervert justice. He will not overlook sin. So thankfully, God, in Christ Jesus, took our punishment and our judgment that was due us on the cross. Amen. And so Samuel's sons, they were wicked. The people, they, they didn't want to follow these wicked leaders. They didn't want to follow the judges. And they asked for a replacement but not only a replacement, they ask for a king who will rule like all the other nations. And so another thing that I want to highlight here is that as, as leaders, especially those who are a leader in ministry or whether you're a leader of your household, we need to see from this that our actions have consequences. The way that we lead people have consequences. I'm sure many of us can think of examples in, in church history where 
Pastors have not led their congregation according to the word of God, whether it was a, a scandal or an abuse of authority. And what typically happens is what we see in this passage is that first they reject the leadership, so they'll, they'll leave the church, but oftentimes they end up rejecting God as well. Not only will they leave the church because they've been hurt from the pastor or how he's led them or their example, they'll also end up leaving the faith. So we see this happen in this passage as well, that they reject his leadership, but ultimately they reject God. And so I want to encourage all of us who lead our households, or maybe you lead a ministry, to submit to God over yourself in that position of leadership and not to pervert justice or abuse the authority that God has given you, whether it's in your home or in a position of ministry. Because when people are hurt by that kind of leadership, oftentimes it can lead to them leaving the faith and rejecting God. And so this leads to the people of Israel desiring to be like other nations, wanting a king to lead them, it says multiple times here, like the other nations have a king. And so really what, what they're doing here is they're looking to the world to solve their problems. They're, they're taking their eyes off of God as king, God as their authority, and they're looking to the world. You could even say they're, they're loving the world. And this leads to them rejecting God. As verse 7 says, the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, the people no longer wanted God as king. They didn't want God to rule over them. They didn't want to be submitted to the word of God or the law of God. They wanted to be like all the other nations that they had seen. I imagine that over this 400-year period of, of the judges, as they, the nation of Israel was conquered by these other nations, that the kings of these other nations would be leading the charge, that there would be this pomp and circumstance as, as these kings would come into the nation of Israel and really rule over them. And as they would hear these foreign nations shouting, Long live the king! The Israelites probably looked and said, if only we had a king like that, if only we had a leader like that, then we could be powerful like they are. And ultimately, that's what God gives them. We see that with the life of Saul, that God gives them the king that they are desiring. God gives them a king like all the other nations. The life of Saul really is a, is a tragic life, but more so than resembling a, a king that's submitted to the authority of God, he really is, resembles a king like all the other pagan nations. In uh, 1 Samuel 22, King Saul, he wipes out 85 priests of the Lord, murders them, has them murdered. That doesn't resemble a king submitted to the Lord. That resembles a king like all the other nations. And then in 1 Samuel 28, he, he seeks a median 
He, he goes into witchcraft and sorcery because he, he's no longer hearing from the Lord. Again, doing something that a pagan king would do. And so we do see that God is faithful to giving the Israelites what they ask for. You want a king like all the other nations? I'll give you a king like all the other nations. And we see that in 1 Samuel 10, 24, where Samuel says to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And so a point of application for us tonight is are, are we looking to the world to solve our problems? This is what the people of Israel were doing at this point. They, they weren't looking to God for help. They weren't looking to God for leadership. They weren't submitting to the Lord as their sovereign, as their authority. They were looking to the world to solve their problems. So are you looking to your job or your finances to give you peace in your life? Are you looking to relationships or probably or possibly dealing with dabbling with sexual immorality in your life to fill a void of loneliness that you have? Are you sensing that maybe there's some strife going on in your family and so you're planning the ultimate vacation because if I could just go on this vacation, it would bring harmony back into the family? Are you wasting your time with garbage entertainment to bring you joy in your life? Are you looking to the things of this world to fill the void that you have in your life? Are you looking to the world to solve your problems? John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All of these things that I mentioned that the world oftentimes looks to to solve their problems is fading away. Verse 17, it says that these things won't last. The world is passing away. And so I want to challenge you tonight to look to Christ for your joy, for your peace. Look to Him for the harmony in your family. Look to Him for strength in your marriage, for contentment in your life. Look to the Creator and not the creation. As Pastor Matt has taught us in this study we've been doing on worship, that if, if there's, only, there's only really two objects of worship. It's God or the creation. So let's look to our Creator for our help and not his creation. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And so I want to read the first verse of that and then the chorus. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of His glory and grace. Amen. So let's look to Christ for for anything we're facing in life, any void that we sense that we're having. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Amen. So that's the first thing that I want to highlight here is that loving the world means rejecting God. But the next thing that we see in this passage is that rejecting God brings bondage. Samuel tells the people that this king that they're desiring essentially will enslave them. If you look at at verses 10 through 18, six times the word take appears. The king that they are asking for is the king that God is going to give them, and this king is not a giving king. This king is one that will constantly be taking from them. And essentially what Samuel is telling them is what you are desiring is to go back to Egypt. You're asking for a king that's going to recreate what you were experiencing in Egypt that will just constantly be taking from you And this culminates in verse 17 where it says, and you shall be his slaves. Now what's interesting is that 400 years prior to this, in the book of Deuteronomy, God actually makes provision for the nation of Israel to have a king. He he tells them that it's, it's okay for them to have a king, and then he lays out what a true king should look like. And so I'd like to look at that passage in Deuteronomy 17. And it starts in verse 14. And as I read this, just notice the stark contrast between the king that Israel should desire versus the king that they are desiring that God is going to give them. And so Deuteronomy 17, 14 It says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. And so God knew that they were going to eventually look and see that the way the other nations are, they're different than us. They have a king over them. And so God says, That's okay to notice that. In fact, you can have a king. But we'll see here that even that king should be submitted to the Lord. He says, One one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Verse 16 says, Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And so already you can see the difference that this king should be a giving king, not one that's taking and taking and taking, But yet the king that they're asking for, the king that God is going to give them in Saul is one that will be taking and taking and taking. And then he goes on in verse 18 
And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And so this king here that we see is one that God wants to bless. He says if the king rules in this way, he will continue long in his kingdom he and his children in all Israel. Now, did this happen with Saul? No. In fact, he, he was the only one of his family who ruled as king. That his, his, the kingship was, was ripped from his family as he rebelled against God. And so the king that, that God had given permission for the nation of Israel to have is one that would be submitted to God's authority. They wouldn't be ruling over God. They wouldn't be ruling in place of God. They would be ruling under God and under His reign. God would still be sovereign and they would submit to Him and to His law. But this isn't the king that the people wanted. We know that they were fixated on being like the other nations because when Samuel tells them that the king that they're going to have is one that will essentially enslave them, they say, we still want that king. Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And this king would essentially enslave the people. And this is what sin does to us as well. Just like this king would lead the nation into bondage, sin leads us into bondage as well. There's a famous quote that goes like this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. How many of you have heard that quote before? Um, so I was looking it up because I've heard it many times, but I didn't know where it came from. And there were two names, two different names that, that popped up that the internet, of course, I don't know if this is true or not, but who they attributed this quote to. And it's very interesting who these two people were. One was Rabbi Zacharias, and the other was Ted Haggard. Two men whose sin in their lives took them further than they wanted to go, kept them longer than they wanted to stay, and cost them more than they wanted to pay. And so we know that this is true of sin. But instead of taking Rabbi Zacharias's word or Ted Haggard's word, why don't we look at what Jesus has to say about sin? In John 8.34, Jesus says to the people, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So this passage highlights for us that what a 
king or a ruler who is in opposition to God, who turns away from the word of God, what they will look like, and ultimately what it looks like to reject God, but it also should highlight for us in our lives what our lives will look like if we reject God as king and ruler over us. It will be a life of slavery. It'll be a life of bondage. It'll be a life of brokenness and of pain. And so as we look at this and we're, we're looking at a bad king and a bad king, it, it should point us to a king who is the complete opposite Now, we know that David was much closer to the king that's described in Deuteronomy 17 than the king that's described here in 1 Samuel 8, but David still had his shortcomings. David wasn't a perfect king by any means, but there is a king who is ruling, who is the ultimate fulfillment of what a king submitted to God and his rule and his word looks like. And who is that king? Christ, that's right. It's on this banner here and on about 17 sweatshirts out there tonight. Um, Thank you all. I didn't didn't send out a memo to, hey, let's wear this. It'll be the theme of tonight. But thank you for participating in the sermon tonight. Christ is that true, righteous king. Jesus is better than any other king. Where other kings will lead you into bondage and slavery, the systems of this world, the things of this world will lead us into bondage. Christ will lead you into freedom. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus had been tested in the wilderness, he appears to, he goes to the the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he goes to Isaiah chapter 61. And he says this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is who our king is. He came to give us freedom. Jesus is a giving king. Jesus said himself, he came to serve, not to be served. Jesus didn't come to take, but to give. We see that in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So Satan comes to take But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came to give his life so that we can be free. So that we no longer have to walk 
a life of bondage and slavery to sin, but that we can be free from the power of sin. We can be free from sin's taskmaster, Satan. That if we are free, we are free indeed. This is who our king is. This is the God that we serve. One that doesn't want to take from you, one that doesn't want to enslave you, but one that wants to free you from the power of sin and the shame of sin and the guilt of sin and the pain of sin. And so tonight, as we come to a close, I want to ask you, is Christ your king? Have you completely submitted not just some areas of your life to Christ, but all areas? Either Jesus is Lord or something else is Lord. Jesus said he was referring to money, but I think this is true of everything in the world, that you cannot serve two masters. Either Jesus is Lord and master and sovereign in your life, or something else has taken his place. So I want to ask you tonight to examine yourselves to see where your affections lie. Truly take a look at your heart and see, are, are there areas in your life, are there things that you are looking to other than Christ to satisfy the longings of your heart? Stop looking to the world to solve your problems. Stop looking and stop, you know, oh, if only I got this promotion, then I could have a little bit more money, and then, you know, all the problems in my life would go away. Or if only we could take this vacation, everything in our family would, would just be a happily ever after. No, stop looking to the world to solve your problems. Trust in Christ. Trust in His Word. And trust in Him and be part of His kingdom. Amen. Now, part of being part of His kingdom, as I, I think looking at those who are here tonight, I think most of us would say, yes, I'm, I've been adopted into the kingdom of God. Christ is my king. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom. So now we, we are expected to behave like a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what does a citizen of the kingdom of God look like? Well, our last passage tonight one that we should all be very familiar with, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus tells his disciples what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. And he can, he can show them and tell them because, as he says here at the beginning, he has been given all authority. Our resurrected Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning over his creation. And so Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, as a citizen of my kingdom, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And so as a citizen of the kingdom of God, our job now is to go and disciple the nations. But before we can disciple anyone else, we have to make sure that we are discipling ourselves, that we have submitted to the commands of Jesus Christ, that we are observing all that he has commanded and obeying all that he has commanded. So I want to close by reading the last verse of the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. If Christ is your king, if he's delivered you from the bondage of sin, if he's set you free by the power of the Holy Spirit, if he's made you a new creation, let's be obedient and go and tell of this glorious salvation that he has given you. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we see you and we see the work of Christ even as we go to an Old Testament passage. Lord, I thank you that you are our one true king. Lord, I pray that all of us in here tonight would submit to Christ as king. Lord, if there's anybody in here that's, that's holding on to sin in their lives, God, that you would convict them tonight of that sin. And Lord, that they would be obedient to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, because Jesus said that if we are being obedient to sin, that we are enslaving ourselves to sin. But Lord, we also saw tonight that you came to set us free from sin. Lord, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us who are followers of Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us, Lord. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we have the power to overcome sin in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be obedient to where you are leading us the areas of our lives where we are not submitted to you, or the areas of our lives that we're looking and we're saying, if we just had a little bit more of that, then I would have more joy, I would have more contentment, I would have more satisfaction in my life. Lord, I pray that we would turn our eyes to Jesus, that we would look full in his wonderful face, and that as we do so, the things of this earth truly would go strangely dim as the light of Christ and his glory shines in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all of this. Lord, it, it truly is our desire to be obedient to your word so that our lives would glorify you. As citizens of the kingdom of God, Lord, we desire to glorify you so that others will see our lives and that we can point them to Christ. We can tell them the good news of salvation Lord, we thank you for working in our lives. Lord, be with us this week as we go out, as we go to our jobs, as we lead our families, as we go to school this week. Lord, all that we do, God, we would do for your glory, for your fame, and for your praise. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.